Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode. Today, we're going to take up uh, the unusual case of Smithfield Foods and COVID-19 controls. Matt wrote about this for Radical Compliance in a recent blog post. And of course, we'll link to this in the show notes. But before we get going, Matt, could we get a check in from the Clan Kelly in Cambridge? Yeah, hi, Tom. Uh, so here in Cambridge, the city has just instituted a mandatory mask policy for everybody over the age of five. You must now wear a mask anytime you are outside off of your property until further notice, uh, or you can risk a fine of up to $300. That seems to be all the rage in the local communities around Boston these days, these mandatory mask policies. Uh, Although, to be fair, Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts, generally, we are all still very much in whatever surge we're experiencing. We're definitely past the worst of it, but we're not out of it by any means. But other than that, and I am in the confines of my own home, so I'm not wearing a mask right now, uh, things are fine. So, Matt, we, uh, we've heard a lot about Smithfield Foods in the news recently, but you took a look at it from the uh, perspective of the internal controls uh, and compliance functions. What did you see interesting about Smithfield Foods? Yeah, so people might have already heard about Smithfield and, frankly, several other large food businesses in the United States that they have had some severe trouble keeping their processing plants open in the Midwest. Uh, they These plants typically employ several thousand workers at the least, and they were not ever designed to prevent the spread of infectious disease. So we have had COVID outbreaks at these plants, and they're taking the plants off, and that has been knocking meat production capacity down in this country significantly. Um, Smithfield in particular, they were in hot water because they run a giant pork processing plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And that was shut down on April 12th after hundreds of employees came down with COVID. Uh, These are largely low income, many immigrant or first generation American uh, employees who are working at the plant. Uh, It was closed on April 12th. That plant alone knocked 5% of U.S. pork processing capacity offline. And uh, Smithfield even said that its shutdown will have, quote, severe, perhaps disastrous repercussions, close quote, for the food supply chain. Uh, But then what they had done was the South Dakota Health Department and the CDC down in Atlanta, they sent an inspection team to that Smithfield's plant. And last week, they came up with a report that offered more than 100 recommendations of what the Smithfield plant should do to uh, basically clean up its act and to try and resume operations sometime soon. As of today, that plant is still closed. Um, But when you look at the hundred or so recommendations, 
in various ways, they are very instructive for compliance and risk managers to start thinking about what should we be doing as our own organization to try to stay open during the COVID-19 crisis. Because sooner or later, many states are going to start to reopen. COVID is not going to go away. It is not going to recede. Um, So we're going to have to learn to do business with COVID floating around in the air, on things, in people, and how can we do that as safely as possible? That's the sort of stuff that the CDC was coming out with in its report. So that's where I zeroed in and thought it was uh, pretty instructive for the compliance community out there. Matt, you noted several elements of success that Smithfield either had previously implemented or could readily implement. Uh, Why don't you uh, tell us about some of the successes you saw? Well, I I will say they are elements you should have to succeed. I would not go so far as to say Smithfield had them or even that they could readily implement them. They will need to implement them at some point. But, you know, I get it that uh, many listeners are not in the food processing business. And so these specific recommendations, maybe a lot of them won't fit your organization exactly. But when you look at the broad categories of how the CDC was grouping all of these recommendations, this is all going to start to feel familiar to everybody who's listening. So first and foremost, what struck me was that uh, Smithfields needs expertise in trying to figure out what are the actual things we do. And the CDC actually does offer help here, which I did not know, but um, you can get an EPI-aid, which stands for Epidemiologic Assistance, where specialists from the CDC will come in to investigate and inspect some location. They will only do this at the request of a local health department. So you, the company, you can't get this and you, know, you can't ask for it. You can't buy it. Um, basically, you have to be in trouble where the health department is on your back and the health department then calls in the big guns from the CDC. But it raised the point that, that Tom, you and I have talked about before. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about infectious disease outbreak programs. Um, we're going to need real public health expertise about what actually are good policies, what are good controls, what do they look like. This is not something most businesses think about all that much. So you need to find the expertise. Um, A fair number of the recommendations involved the actual physical design of the facility. So we need to start thinking about, okay, what is the physical design of our office or our plant or whatever you might have? How can you use that design as a control? So when we all think about, okay, we need to put plexiglass between employee desks or workstations, or we need to get um, touchless sinks or toilets in the employee bathrooms, or we need to space out the tables in the cafeteria, or we need to come up with more cafeteria space. Those are all physical design issues that you might have to use as controls to keep employees apart. And that's, that's the whole big concept here. This is social distancing fitted into your enterprise. That's what you have to think about really is how do we keep employees apart so they don't get each other sick? That was a lot of what um, the CDC was recommending to Smithfield there was physical changes to its plant. And I did read somewhere else that we are already in a hot market for plexiglass now. So if you're looking to do that in your own location, 
get your procurement team to jump on that quick because uh, plexiglass as a raw material is about to go through the roof. Um, the other big categories that they had were after you do all the physical design changes, there's only so many you can do. Uh, you're going to have to think about what are the policy changes that we might make as a control to keep employees apart. So now you're thinking about sick leave time. You're thinking about um, flexibility around when people can arrive, uh, when they can leave, when they can take their breaks. Uh, Smithfield was flagged for having a steady start time, which created a bottleneck of employees showing up for their shifts. So you have to think about, do we stagger shifts in a new way? Do we create more shifts that overlap so we have fewer people checking in at any one time, even if we have more start times across the course of the day. And I can only imagine how difficult that is to put in operationally at a big plant like Smithfield. But this is the sort of stuff we have to think about. Um, and then, you know, some of the other things were like temperature checks for employees. That's not a design control. That's a policy control. Are you going to do that? Are you going to have hand washing requirements? Um, other policies that might change employee behavior. And then the last thing that uh, the last big category of recommendations were training um, right down to what do the posters look like on the wall at Smithfield? They did have a lot of posters, but they were heavily text based and not pictograms, um, which you probably would need for a workforce that most of them, English is not their native language. They may not be highly skilled. So should it be pictograms? Um, should they be at eye level? Should you have training about how to actually put on a mask? And I have been astounded at how difficult some people find putting a mask on can be, like uh, Mark DeSantis or Governor DeSantis down in Florida, who put on his mask upside down for a press conference. Um, so there are all sorts of ways that you have to think about these things. But Physical hard controls, policy changes, training, um, leadership, like this is not news. We could be talking about anti-corruption programs and we'd use all of those same categories to say this is the component of a successful compliance or risk management program. And it's the same stuff right here for Smithfield about COVID-19. And that's how we need to get our heads into the game here. That's These are the terms we need to be thinking about with covid as we try and keep operations going as we're reopening the economy. Matt, I've heard uh, others advocate having a reopening team and perhaps even a reopening point person or was referred to as a reopening czar within a, a company. Is that something that compliance should at least be on the team or discussion with, in your opinion? I, I would say that they should be on the team. Um you know, when we think about things, any programs related to COVID. So first we were talking about pandemic responses. Then we were talking about IDORPS and the infectious disease programs. Now we're talking about reopening. They're programs. They need to have a team. Um, I would not recommend a czar because what have we always said about FCPA compliance since times of yore? Compliance should not own the risk. Well, if you have a czar... That person owns the risk. Um, I'm all for a smart structure and good execution of the plan, but you really need to bring together a team that can appreciate how is this really going to work at our company? What policies make sense? What policies won't work? Um, 
plenty of times we see czars show up with grand plans and then the workforce actually says that is never going to fly in the real world. This is not the time to repeat that sort of flawed experiment and reach the same bad outcome. Um, so I would think, you know, compliance or audit or risk or all three, they should be on the team, but it should be a team. Yes. Man, you end your blog post on a, uh, a much to, near and dear to my lawyer heart with a cautionary note about potential risks, legal risks for companies that they may not have faced before. And this is not related to uh, employees getting sick. Um, this is not even related to uh, infection of potential food sources. It is uh, a public nuisance. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, this was interesting. So this is a, an issue that is cropping up at a separate Smithfield processing plant in Missouri, uh, where those employees there filed a lawsuit against Smithfield last week. They claim that Smithfield's failure to take safety measures at the plant to keep them healthy creates a public nuisance uh, because then they do get one coworker gets sick from another coworker, and then they go back home and now they're infecting the public. So the failure to appreciate this risk in your physical workspace creates a litigation risk for your company because it could be a public nuisance. Um, Tom, you might know better than me the history of public nuisance law, but my reading of it from a New York Times article is that this was a fairly unusual sort of case that you would see. Um, but there are case histories here uh, showing that, yes, you know, a public nuisance cannot be allowed to exist. Um, so what parties are responsible for it? What are their duties to try and prevent it? If the public nuisance is a communicable disease that is originating because of your poor standard of care in your company, do you have a potential litigation exposure there? Clearly, the Smithfield employees think yes. Smithfield says no. I'll be curious to see how that um, case goes in court. But really, this is an old issue, which is management versus employees complaining about the work environment. Um, that's nothing new. But COVID changes the nature of what the discussion is to bring a new type of risk into it, which is a litigation risk over the public nuisance law. Um, so it's the sort of thing that you really have to think about, but it does drive up the importance of getting all of this right. And I don't want to let Smithfield off the hook here. You Others can look at these recommendations from the CDC and use them to think, okay, what can we do as a best practice here? Um, Smithfield did not have best practice. You know, they, they had more than a hundred things that they had been doing wrong or not doing or trying to do, but not doing it very well. So, I mean, we should remember that Smithfield has made a hash out of keeping its workforce healthy. Thankfully, all evidence says COVID is not a foodborne illness. So even if they were sick and preparing your pork three weeks later, when you buy the pork chops at the supermarket, you're not going to get COVID that Avenue. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Smithfield kind of screwed it up or was asleep at the switch here. Um, it's a large company, should have a lot of resources. It's interesting to note that Tyson Foods is going through the same thing. So is JBS, which is another large uh, meat and food processing plant in the United States. They're all struggling with this. They're all going to need to close down a lot of plants. We're all going to see meat shortages this month in May. Um, and then they're going to have to clean up and get their operations back up and running. This, uh, what the CDC put out is a good roadmap for it, and others can beg, borrow, and steal good ideas from that. But, like, 
Smithfields, come on, man. You, you messed it up for the rest of us here. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating lesson for compliance officers on a current event and uh, demonstrates what can happen and uh, what, more importantly, uh, what needs to happen in a variety of issues, including anti-corruption. But here we focused on food safety and food security. So I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I have two new podcasts that I hope you will check out. The first is Compliance and Coronavirus, Clarity and Sanity for the Compliance Practitioner. The second is The Compliance Life, where I take a look at what it's like to sit in the chair of a Chief Compliance Officer. They are both on the Compliance Podcast Network and available on iTunes. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we tape up another topic of compliance literally into the weeds. Compliance into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.